Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest I am joined by Chris Gordon. Now Chris's story is nothing short of amazing. You know, um, think about this one. You're going through your daily routine. You're packing the kids up to go to school, go to work, doing whatever. You scratch yourself in the garage door. It's a normal sort of thing. Well, that happened to Chris, but unfortunately, instead of just dusting it off, that developed into a flesh-eating disease, which made him hospital-bound for months, skin grafts, everything involved. Took his life, nearly took his life a number of occasions, but he pulled through, and he's here to tell his tale. But the most remarkable thing that Chris really talks about is the determination and fight that he actually did and to get himself back to square one again back to nor- the, the most normal thing you can do and his story's f- fantastic and it's so motivational inspiring to hear someone who's went through so much in the past few years and now overcame it and he's now doing what well teaching what he went through to other people to say there's no no limits to what you can achieve doesn't matter what happened to you in your life there's nothing you there's nothing that can't stop you so motivational and it's great and chris is such an upbeat person, absolutely a joy to listen, a joy to talk to. So guys, wait, without further ado, please welcome Chris Gordon. And we're live. We're joined by Chris. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, sir. And yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. We're just chatting before we actually came online about the weather. It is a bakingly hot. Yeah, um, we follically follically challenged guys uh, need to have our uh, domes covered, and especially uh, we gingers (laughs) uh, need to make sure we lather up. That's it. It's the obvious thing. Is like, uh, has anyone checked on your local ginger just in case? It's the old, it's oh, the, exactly. old, the old phrase. Yeah, just look for the bipedal crab people. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We do. It's getting, the thing is, it's over here. It's the height of summer over here. So it gets hotter and hotter. But then it's like one or two days, it just goes crap. And it was like that last year because I'm over in, uh, in the UK, just outside London. So it was really horrendous weather, which I was really quite chuffed with because I've just bought this new house. So I've got this new house that I've just got. And I don't know if, you can, if anyone's watching the video, you can see the greenery behind me. That's my garden. So I have turned into some sort of like kind of garden nut. So I'm now going after, I'm reading books about how to grow grass and seeds and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and it's taken over my life, Chris. I don't know if you're the same, but as soon as you get into that rabbit hole of trying to sort of garden out, there's no going back. Yeah, I've, I've started looking at my grass and uh, every day I go out and uh, try to rake the dead, gra- dead uh, grass clippings out so I can start seeding. But yeah, I'm afraid of falling into that Alice in Wonderland uh, demise that you're ex- explaining there. Because we used to have this old uh, program on here called Ground Force over in the UK. Right. And there's a guy called Alan Titchmarsh. And he's like, he was like your, your kind of Johnny Depp of the ground play at the oh, gardening yeah. scene over in the UK. He was massively famous. <laughs> I've even been catching up old YouTube videos of him trying to sort of, and it's, it's getting ridiculous now. And I think, I've, I think I need help. I think I've got a problem. What's your thumbs? Now, if your thumbs are current turning green, I would see a therapist or at least get some uh, flesh tone paint to cover those up. I, w- I wouldn't go and see a therapist. I'd see a proper doctor if that was going to yeah. be the case. Yeah, true. So, so anyway, away from all this crazy garden talk and weather is the pleasantries. Yeah. So, 
I'm glad I got you on, Chris, because I've, I've been, I've, we've been trying to organise this for a, a good few weeks now, but I'm happy that you're on here and you're, you're chatting because you've got an interesting story, Chris, to be quite honest with you, haven't you? Uh, you know, uh, people have told me that my story does uh, either raise eyebrows or uh, scare people away from their garages, so... <laughs> I can imagine, and you'll understand, everyone's gone, what were you talking about? You'll understand why in a minute. So, yeah. I mean, this is the reason I always do these sort of podcasts, is get people like yourself to come on and discuss your your previous, uh, um, I want to say a history, if that makes sense, but your previous, yeah. uh, what's happened before, and your uh, the story you'll go through. So, let's, let's kind of take it all the way back from the start. Let's get a little bit of background in yourself, Chris, and then we can kind of follow into it, and then just kind of flow into it and go from there. All right, sounds good. Sounds good, Ryan. So I grew up in the state of Michigan. So if you're familiar with United States geography, it's the state that looks like a mitten, all right? <laughs> okay. And the way that we Michiganders point out where we're from, especially if we're from the Lower Peninsula, we hold our hand up vertically, keep our fingers together, and stick our thumb out somewhat, and then we point to where we used to live. Now I used to live right about in uh, between, like about an inch or uh, 10 centimeters, uh, maybe three centimeters uh, left of my thumb. And that's called Flint, Michigan. Now, you may have heard of Flint, Michigan as having water problems in the past. Uh, but, and they also used to be known as uh, Buick City. They made a lot of cars there. Like, yeah, big, big industrial city, really, wasn't it? With Detroit and all that sort of stuff just down the road. Yes, yes. And so I grew up in a small suburb of Flint called Clio. And I lived there for 28 years. And then uh, while I was living there, I, I would go to church. And one year, we had a vicar come to our, our church. His name was John. John was a geek, just like me, as you can tell. Uh, behind me, I have Yoda and uh, Super Grover. It's, I call it my Frank Oz shrine. Because, uh, uh, spoiler alert, he voiced both those characters. And I love them. It was, anyway. you know, just getting back to that, just jump in. When you had this conversation before, I didn't realize that was the case. And then I had, to, and you think it in your head, and you're like, dear God, they sound exactly the same. And then you got, yes. and it's like a glass just got, it's like an epiphany just go, boosh. My God, they yeah. do it, don't they? Yeah, there, I mean, actually, there's a brilliant uh, episode of Sesame Street where they, <laughs> uh, they spoof, um, they, they spoof Star Wars and they uh, have, uh, uh, Grover dressed like Yoda, and they call him Groda. And oh, it was—I mean, for a, for a geek like me, I'm like, oh my goodness, they're they're acknowledging it. It's so awesome. <laughs> so, so anyway, John and I are uh, became very good friends, and then a couple years later, he invited me to be part of his wedding in Minnesota. And so after uh, my school year finished up, I'm a teacher. Uh, I flew out to Minnesota. And long story short, during the bachelor bachelorette proceedings, because he's he's a pastor now, he's marrying a Christian school teacher. They're not going to get into a lot of trouble. Did it not go a bit mental? Yeah, yeah. Always... They're, they're not going to try to uh, test their vows before they they say them. <laughs> so, and they have a lot of mutual friends. So they decide, hey, let's just party together. And so during those proceedings, I meet John's sister, Becky. Right. Okay. Long story short, Becky and I get along very well. And at the end of that summer, I, I moved to Minnesota to start teaching and spend time with her. We get married and now we have three kids 
uh, and we live in a town called New Ulm, Minnesota. Right. And yes, it is, uh, it, it is a, uh, a nod to Ulm, Germany. And, oh, is that like uh, twins? Is it kind of twins with each other sort of thing? Is that what it is? Um, yeah, I, I cannot remember uh, if that if Ulm is the actual sister city or there's another sister city. But yeah. we have a the second largest copper second largest copper statue in America. His name is Herman the German, <laughs> and he is uh, he is the he is the hero of the Battle of Teutoburg Forest from nine A.D. Uh, he led the Germanic tribes in the defense uh, of Bavaria against the, uh, the Roman tribes, the Roman forces. Yeah. And so he stands aloft in our valley. And uh, we also have a, a brewery called Shell's Brewery, which makes German beer. And so uh, that's where we live right now. And right. I am, I'm still a teacher, but I teach online. Uh, I'm ahead of the right. curve a bit of everyone, every other teacher on the planet, practically, uh, who's, who had to teach online this past couple months. I've been doing it for eight years. Wow. And um, I'm also a runner, and uh, I try to keep active uh, with my kids. And so, and as I said, I'm a huge geek. I love my Star Wars. I love my Marvel. I love... Uh, Transformers there. I have Optimus Prime at the ready. Nice. Just to show I'm a true blue uh, nerd. And so that is, I think that takes us up to where you want the story to continue. Yeah, I mean, it got a lot of background. I like that. The, 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 kind of, the, the American, mid, you don't really see much of like the kind of small-ish towns and like kind of villages and stuff in America. You only, we only over here, overseas, only see the big places like your, your cities like your Detroits and your Philadelphias and your New Yorks and all that sort of good stuff. We don't really see what it's like just kind of like kind of almost like kind of smallish middle America sort of thing, which is, it fascinates me. I've always wanted to go to America. That's the main thing. I've always wanted to like kind of like live there sort of thing, but not in the big cities, but in the sort of like kind of um, places like you're talking about where you are sort of thing. So it, it's, it's brilliant that you've got such a small community, but a, well, a well-rounded, a well good community that you can have there. Yes. Uh, it's funny, though. Uh, when I first came to New Ulm, uh, when I went to visit uh, Becky uh, before the wedding of her brother and sister-in-law, I had been to Germany earlier that year. Okay. I spent a week, uh, I, I flew in with a buddy uh, to visit a mutual friend in Frankfurt, and then we went to the Czech Republic for a week and came back. So I spent a couple of days in Germany, and I yeah. quickly got a feel of what Germany is like. I, and as soon as we drive in New Ulm, it was like being back in Germany. Yeah, it Germany's is, lovely. I've been I mean, to Germany a lot. I've been to Germany a few times. It's a beautiful country. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and New Ulm look, has that authentic German appeal to it. Uh, so it was, uh, but I mean, we are in the middle of America, you know, you have, you have lots of, you know, lots of space between the, uh, towns. Whereas I, I believe, uh, Europe is a little more condensed. Yeah, it can be. It can, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you walk into like one town is only like from a stone's throw away. Um, then you go into the country. It's either one extreme or the other, you know, it's the space in the UK that are really close knit or they're like miles and miles apart sort of thing yeah. so it's uh you can it's like if you don't drive and you try and go away elsewhere you're screwed because you have to get like yeah <laughs> but yeah so so going forward obviously you've got you're, you're you're all settled you're still doing your teaching thing i want to go into your teaching thing but i don't want to get into that just yet 
because I want to, mm. can I carry on? But let's get into this. So, is this garage still standing? Is it still there? Or um, is that a reminder? So, like, let's, get, let's get into that so everybody knows what we're talking about here. The, the, the garage? Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, the, yeah, all... you know, the, the garage and I have, uh, we've mended our fences. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, to, I, 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 forgi- I have forgiven it. I would have went to town um, on that thing with a sledgehammer on my own. I'd be like, no oh, chance. It, the, the first time I saw it after coming back from the hospital, I, I kind of glared at it a little bit and said, hey, are we cool? <laughs> you know, are, you, yeah. are, are you mad, bro? You know. So, so let's get back to it. So people can understand what we're going through about why we're talking about yeah. a garage so hostily. You understand why in a minute if you're listening. But carry on, Chris, go for it. Yeah. So, a uh, number of years ago, uh, March in March in of 2015, uh, I was helping my wife uh, Becky get our kids into the van so she could take them to daycare. And drop my uh, drop her oldest son off at school, and then she can go teach at her own school. She's a high school history teacher in town. And my younger son was a little putsy, you know. He was taking his time, so I decided to fly him to the van. So I pick him up, and I'm going back and forth. Well, I veer a little too far to the right, and I scrape the back of my right hand against the garage. And so I think nothing of. I've been injured before. Yeah. So I put them into the car seat. I kiss them on goodbye. I, I wave as they drive off. And then I walk into the house to clean off the wound and go on my day. And I'm thinking, oh, I cleaned it off. I have a Band-Aid on. I'm good. Three days later, I wake up and I have a huge bump on my right elbow. And I have no idea where this is from. We had gone bowling that you know the night before but i didn't think we had gone that we have gotten that violent <laughs> it know, wasn't that crazy a 12 pound ball down the lane so i'm thinking okay i'm gonna go to the walk-in clinic it's a saturday so i'm gonna go into the walk-in clinic and get it checked out well the attending doctor looks at it and says well it might be bursitis uh but you know just keep an eye on it and we'll see what happens well what happened was within the next 10 hours that bump started creeping along my arm to the point where my right arm was triple the size of my left. So it looked like and a Bob high sort of thing. I, I looked like the Incredible Hulk in mid-transformation. <laughs> Except wow. for being, instead of, be, instead of being green, I was slightly red. So kind of yeah. like Red Hulk, if you're familiar with that character. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, that bulge had also enveloped my right shoulder and has started going to my chest and my back. Wow. So my wife took me to the ER. I was admitted and immediately they started trying to uh, get a blood pressure reading on me, but they couldn't. I had gone into sepsis. Oh, shit. Yes. That's some, dodgy, those... that's some dodgy ground that as well, isn't it? That's, yes. some, that's, some, that's a killer that. Yes. Yeah, so for uh, for those who don't know, sepsis is when your body emits a chemical into your bloodstream to fight off infections. However, that chemical is also toxic. Mm. And so it has, as you said, Ryan, it has killed many people uh, who've gone into sepsis uh, too drastically. So they were keeping a, a, a very serious eye on me and they had admitted me overnight. The next morning, the attending doctor at that time walked into my room and said, Mr. Gordon, there's nothing more we can do here for you. This is beyond us. Where do you want to go? 
and immediately my mind went to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Now, I don't know how familiar or uh, how well-renowned the Mayo Clinic is in Europe, but in America, it is one of the most popular hospitals and most respected hospitals in America. Okay. Yeah, we've, had, we've had Saudi Arabian uh, the kings come into Rochester for, uh, for, you know, for medical checkups and for procedures. Wow, so it's, it's, it's a, a, an internationally renowned hospital then. That's, uh, yes. that's compressive. No wonder you wanted to go there. <laughs> you know, it's well, just, yeah. uh, that's the best place you can go. If, you, if they don't treat you good there, well, you're kind of screwed a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but that's not the only reason I picked Mayo though, is because uh, Becky's parents live in Rochester and her dad, in fact, uh, who was a retired minister, he was a chaplain at the hospital at the time. Ah, right, okay. So, so have, I knew you could that have connections there. You could look after the kids and all that sort of stuff. So you knew, yeah, that you because looked after. exactly because surely this would only take a couple of days, right? Yeah, well, I you mean, think, yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, um, I get admitted. Uh, they fly me in the hard light plane uh, to Rochester, um, and I went. We land. I get to the ambulance. They take me to the hospital. And then they started uh, filling me full of painkillers. And that's where things get a little loopy and a little uh, fuzzy. I wonder uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> You're dosed up to the, the eyeballs, mate. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, the last thing I remember before I go under is I'm in, a, I'm in a wheelchair and I'm talking to the operating surgeon. He's trying to tell me what's going on. He tells me that I have been diagnosed with necrotizing fasciitis, which okay. is also known as flesh-eating bacteria. Wow. And it was caused by group A strep, in particular streptococcus pyrogenes. We had had strep in around the family in the last, in the last uh, week or so, and it had been on either... It's, it was on my skin or it was on the garage wall. Somehow that scrape opened up the, uh, the germs to get in there, the, the bacteria to get in there and to cause the infection. So what is strep? Uh, strep is uh, an infection that uh, causes, um, you know, like a sore throat, right. uh, causes fevers. Um, and so it, I mean, it could be just, you know, something like that, or it could cause, uh, infections like flesh eating bacteria. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a common thing to have sort of thing. Cause we don't um, really have that much of it any over here sort of thing. I don't okay. know. Okay. Um, it's somewhat common. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, I, I would say it's not as common as the, uh, you know, as a cold, but, or, you know, as common as the flu, mm. but a lot of people still get it. Yeah. It's treatable sort of thing. You know, it's not some one yeah. of those things that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but, uh, the, the, the strand I had was very rare, Okay. but still very deadly. Um, at the point they had, they had taken me in, I had a 30%, 30% chance of living. Wow. And when, when they told you that, when they, when they said this to you, what was your feelings when you thought that? When they basically, the doctor told you you've got about 30%, what went through your head in that point, if you can remember? You know, this is where it gets uh, a little weird. I was all for it. I was like, let's do this. Let's go. <laughs> 
it totally freaked the uh, the surgeon out because he's used to people being scared. He's yeah. used to crying. He's used to people asking, you know, are you gonna? Am I gonna die? And I'm like, you, you ever seen the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger? That's oh, the best film ever. Yeah, and so you know, remember the part where he's drugged up and his head is listing back and forth, and he's, and he's telling the guy who administered the drug that how he's gonna kill him. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I feel like. I'm like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> I, I'm ready to go. Oh, and fantastic. I, I don't remember. I don't remember word for word what I said. That's how I felt. Yeah. Maybe it's a good thing you didn't uh, didn't know what word for word what you said, because I'm sure there might be a few <laughs> expletives yeah. getting popped about in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, I, I never had a huge uh, feeling of dread or fear. Right. I just knew that, you know what? I'm in the Mayo Clinic, and maybe subconsciously I was thinking, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know? I'm, we're, they're going to do the best that they can. I'm going to have the best attitude I can. Let's do this. Yeah. And so, so you put so, me under. So this is this is you're 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 hyping yourself up. They're putting you through, and this is and this. What were they operating on? Were they trying to get rid of the infection, sort of thing, or what were they trying to do? Well, first, first they needed to uh, stop the infection from spreading. Right. And so, um, they treated the infection like a forest fire. Okay. And so they, um, in that they wanted to get ahead of it. So they kept an eye on where the infection was spreading and they could tell where it was because it would be red and puffy. So they would draw a line on my body to show where it was. Right. And uh, finally they had gotten to the point where it was at the base of my neck. So that's getting close to brain territory then really, isn't it? That's yeah. really getting and in fact, yeah, and then that—that's when they—they they, my when my wife saw when Becky saw that the line was at my the base of my neck. That's when she left. Not, not yeah. like I'm leaving you, but she was, she couldn't handle it. Nice, understandable. Um, yeah, and so they decided oh, it's go time, and so they brought they brought me in, and so first they what uh, they did breed, they uh they debreeded the uh, the area, and I'll show you uh, here. Here's my arm. Oh yeah. You know, and then um. You get a bit of a show here. <laughs> uh, you see the oh like, wow chest here. So you can see the scar and all that sort yep. of stuff and going it goes around. All the way Holy down through my uh, rib cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the way around yeah, your back. It just looks this. It looks similar to like it's like a shark attack sort of thing, doesn't it? It looks as if it's just like a shark just kind of bit you around that around your left arm, your right arm. Yeah. Well, uh, are you familiar with the character Deadpool? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great yeah. character. I'm basically a discount Deadpool. <laughs> I, 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 well, I was going to say you don't like you, you, you're not immortal and you can live forever, but say what you're you're proving that point wrong at the minute. You might be well, able to. Well, you know, well, thank you. Yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, this has helped me when I've done polar plunges. Yeah, you know, jumped in really cold water. Only part of me can feel it now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, they first uh, took away all the uh, all the infected tissue. And then during the second surgery, that they had told Becky that they were taking my right arm. There was no question because the infection had gone so far into my my hand that it was, you know, they they were afraid that it was going to spread into the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, however, once they debrid the the area, uh, the occupational therapist in the surgery in attendance saw that I still had hand function right 
And so she convinced them to obviously keep my arm. You, you yeah. can see it right here. Um, and so what they did was they extracted a 15 inch by four inch flap of skin from my left thigh. Right. And they attached it to my right arm, my right forearm and hand. You can uh, kind of see it right here. Oh, right. Yeah, you um, can see the, 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 yeah, you can see the, the kind of scourge and the, the, the difference there. Yeah. Yeah, you can see the difference between the the uh, the skin grafts and the actual um, flesh from my my leg. And since this is my thigh on my hand, I call it my thand. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to copyright that sometime. No, I was gonna say. Did did, um, did 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 you know they were gonna take your arm off? No. Actually, you... At that point, I was. Uh, oh, I was out. You know, yeah. after I after I talked to the uh, the surgeon, they they wheeled me in, and I was out from Sunday night to Thursday night. Oh, holy crap! So yeah, so yeah. it's just so the, was it? I take it when they, they they made the decision, they might have to take the arm. Was that when like, kind of last minute, or was it during it sort of thing? I think it was during the first surgery. They saw, they had seen how far the infection had gone. Right. Okay. And then then they came back. And told Becky, well, it's too, you know, too far into his arm. We're going to have to take it. Yep. And, uh, you know, when they left to go to the second surgery, that's what they, that's what she thought that I was going to be, you know, one arm, one arm Willie coming back in, you know? Uh, yeah. So, um, but, uh, when they took out the, uh, when they extracted the flap of skin, they also discovered that having runner's legs. And as we discussed before, uh, soccer player legs my thighs are kind of big <laughs> okay and when you have a 15 inch by 15 inch by four inch flap of skin or a 15 inch by four inch hole in your leg it's hard to get the remaining skin to wrap around those big muscles oh, okay so they had to take out my vastus lateralis which is that? the uh it's one of the muscles of your quadricep oh wow and it's if you really look at your leg and uh, it's the muscle that is on the upper outside of your thigh. Right, okay. And so instead of a quad on my left leg, I have a try now. A try, wow. Yeah, but, but I also have a pretty wicked 14-inch uh, or, you know, more than almost uh, maybe a, a third of a meter scar on my left thigh. Jesus. See, that looks like the shark attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, yeah. so you, they had to do that. It was, it's so strange that they had to take like the muscle. Because like, you don't think about that when obviously the skin grafting and all that sort of stuff, when they take it from the meaty parts. Because it's normally as the leg, the top of the, the quads or the hamstring or even the, the, the buttocks as well, because it's obviously the meaty yeah. part really, don't they? And you don't think that, yeah, because the muscles are that big, they won't be able to wrap around it. It's, 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 oh, it's fascinating to be fair. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it does tire when I when I run. Uh, the left leg does tire a little sooner, a little uh, sooner before the uh, right one does. I was gonna say is that you still got full function of your leg and all that sort of stuff. It's, I mean, you've only got like three of them up there instead of a quad. You've got to try, like you, you mentioned. Yeah. Is that can you? Is it does it make a difference to like doing anything like kind of physical activity? Really, I mean, other like I said, uh, other than tiring out a little sooner, not really. I mean, I've run. Um, you know, I run half marathons. I run, uh, um, like 33 miles in within 24 hours at one time during a, uh, a relay road race. And, and so I can, I can do basically anything, uh, that any normal 
45 year old guy who is uh, a crazy runner dude can do. Yeah. Uh, however, my uh, my volleyball block is a little uh, to be desired, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, are, ever, it, was, it was to begin with because I'm 5'8", you know, uh, but my le- my right arm, because of the skin grafts, doesn't reach as high as my left does. Right. You know, so there is a little <sighs> bit of discrepancy there. When I do, when I do pull-ups, I kind of lean to the right a little bit. Yeah. So when it's, so your leg, do you think it's because with uh, how you said how active you were and you said you're, in, you're quite an active person beforehand, do you think that would have benefited the, the, kind of, the, 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 the recovery thing that you had with your leg before? Or do you think it was that's a main part of, if you weren't as fit as you were, you would have been struggling? I, yeah, absolutely. That's what the doctor said, that if I weren't as in good shape as I was, I may have died or I may have uh, had a worse a worse time of recovery. Wow. Would have been a lot harder to bounce back. Jesus. So I, it really puts things into perspective. You do hear stories about other people going through, uh, let's say that they, 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 you see these athletes, that they, they, they break their necks, and they said if you, if you weren't as strong and as your neck wasn't as strong as you were because these guys are like kind of bodybuilders or they're athletes, you'd literally be paralyzed. And it's only because of how strong their muscles were was the main reason why they're still alive, to be honest. Yes, yeah, and I, I totally believe that. Because that's that, what they said yeah. about um, Kevin Hart, for instance. He was, he was on, um, I don't know if you heard of the Joe Rogan a few weeks back, and you know how he had that huge, huge car crash last year yes. that basically it broke his back like three places. His doctor mm-hmm. actually said to him, he goes, if you weren't as big and athletic as you were, because he's, he's, a, he's a big guy, as in not like height-wise, he's tiny, yeah. as in, but he works out. Yes. Yeah, but if your if your muscles and your body wasn't as strong as it was, you'd be in a you'd be neck down paralyzed. Yes, yeah, he is a he is a very avid runner, so I think that definitely had yeah. uh, you know a big part to play in his recovery and his in his like you said him, uh, you know, sustaining fewer injuries. Of course, of course. So so you're you're in the you're in the surgery now. So you're you're going through. They're trying to get rid of the infection. Um, was that was it was it a I don't want to say a complicated process because obviously, as did it go without any hitches? Was there any complications during the surgery? Uh, no, actually, uh, things went pretty well. Um, in fact, uh, they uh, when they um, started putting skin grafts on, uh, they were afraid that the elbow would have to get uh, touched up right. in uh, subsequent visits because the elbow is the hardest place for skin grafts to adhere. Right. That just because uh, there's so, not really anything. It's just bone, really. There's not really anything between the skin and the bone, really, is there? It's literally exactly, just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just a, just a joint where bones and ligaments meet. Um, so what they did was they took a, a modified souped-up cheese grater <laughs> and ran that on my, on my thighs and my back. And I still, to this day, have strips on my legs that are, and it's hard for me to be any whiter than I can be, but those skin graft sites, those harvesting sites show that there, you could, there's another level of whiteness there. <laughs> but I am, yeah, I am just like stark white where uh, they took the skin grafts from, and I have them on my thighs yeah. and on my back. Christ. So they, took quite so, a lot, they took quite a lot of skin grafts on, really, didn't they? They did. Yeah, they, they, they did indeed. Um, it's like someone took some heavy-duty duct tape and just went crazy on me. Like, like a 40-year-old virgin, you know, the, the <laughs> waxing part. 
That side of the waxing part, yeah, just went to town. We'll put that here, yeah. we'll put that here. It'll be fine, but worry about it. Exactly, yeah, just put some duct tape on him. <laughs> so he'll be good. Super glue the bastard, it'll be fine. Yeah. So, so, so the surgery went well and everything went there. So do you remember waking up at all when after it all happened and uh, you kind of woke up? You said you were like, you are out for a good few days. So you, yes. you had a good sleep. You, oh, you, you I was, good yeah, sleep. I was well rested. Yeah, do you, that's just one thing I've always wanted to um, ask somebody before is, do you remember the time, was it a dream or was it just a normal sleep when you're under like that? Do you remember any of that period when you're under? Now, during that time, I don't. Uh, there, were, uh, there were subsequent uh, surgeries. I'd gone through at least a dozen surgeries. Oh, wow. Uh, and I remember dreaming uh, some really weird dreams. Uh, there was one where... I remember I was in like a video game of like a war game right. and I had to do multiplication math problems before a timer reached zero or I would die. Oh, crazy. Like, you know, 12 times on, 12 times on, uh, 108. And you see the, I would see the, uh, the, the spiraling timer go back to full and then another problem would come. God, and at the same time, so I'm to like shoot people and stuff. It's, it had, yeah. It's the consequences of being a teacher and a video game nerd. That's uh, basically that kind of mixed the both of them. Did you? That's that could be a new idea for a video game. You should actually sell to one of the major publishers. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah, exactly. But the very first time I uh, I was put under, I woke up and I thought I was at the bottom of a water slide that was pummeling me with green water. Oh fucking hell! And that's because I was spewing up the CT fluid they had put in my body to, uh, so they could take CT scans. Oh. But I, had, well, I was hallucinating so badly that I thought I was, at, I was at the bottom of a water slide. Jesus. And the nurse came in and it was a, it was a, uh, a, re a replacement nurse. She, she did not know what she was coming into and I was <laughs> yelling at her like, what is going on? <laughs> and forth. And so like the exorcist brother, coming through, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like, I didn't, didn't sign up for this shit, leave me out. Yeah, yeah. we need an old priest and a young priest. <laughs> my, my brother, who flew in from Michigan, yeah. to, check out, to help, my, my, uh, help Becky out and the kids out, he came in, he immediately walked away. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Like, I'm he's like, here. I bet he's like, no, no, I'm out, I'm out, see yeah. you later. <laughs> but, uh, but, they, but he called Becky, and uh, who was at uh, my in-laws at the time, and so she and my my dad uh, Bill came in and uh, they came to see me. So yeah, that first uh, that first time waking up was rough. Uh, but yeah, after the subsequent after that first time, the subsequent uh, surgeries, I had a my body had a little better idea of what, what was what I was dealing with. And so I do remember some weird dreams like I described earlier. So you you, you mentioned you had how many is it twelve surgeries that you had. Around 12, 12. I can't remember the exact number. I have to check back with them. But it was at yeah. least a dozen because I had a number of um, uh, skin graft surgeries. Right. And then once the skin grafts had been um, in installed, uh, you know, attached, um, they, they had another surgery or two where they would check, uh, they would um, change my dressings. Right. Because basically all of this area that was basically filleted was a, an open wound. And so they treated it like, you know, you would a Band-Aid, but obviously you couldn't just slap a big Band-Aid on me. So they had to go through and clean it out, 
and then put uh, zero form uh, strips on there, which is like uh, a, a, med a like medical paper mache, like these yellow strips they put on your body to uh, keep it clean. And they would put uh, other um, like uh, compression sleeves on to keep the uh, to keep the skin grafts attached to my body as well as they could. Yeah. Um, because you want those things to hug tight. And so they adhere and they become your new skin. Yeah. Plus, there must have been a really kind of high risk of infection as well. When you mentioned it's like an open wound and all that, that must have been, must have been quite nerve wracking, especially when you've got different things like kind of MRSA and all that sort of stuff bombing about nowadays because it's, you see it all the time, even in hospitals nowadays. I don't know what it's like in the US, but the UK had a bit of an issue with it a few years back with infection yeah. being right. Did that, did that kind of panic you a little bit? Do you have to be extra, extra careful? Um, you know, it's funny you said uh, nerve-wracking. Uh, it was the exact opposite. I couldn't oh, really? feel anything here. Uh, and so um, I had a huge airplane splint on my right side. Right. And so for the first number of weeks, I had, uh, you know, I had my arm up at almost a nine-degree uh, nine angle because they didn't want the skin grafts to tighten because if you don't stretch them out, they contract yeah and pretty soon you have uh, a permanent loss of mo mobility and i still i mean i have about a maybe five degree uh difference in um like uh maximum stretch from my left arm yeah but i've done a really good job of trying to keep that area mobile right um but yeah when they when they uh, uh for the first couple of weeks that thing was so wrapped up that i i almost felt invincible in that area um plus they had to have a little section open so they could check to make sure blood flow was going through my fan right. because they want they that they had they had to make sure that this part of my uh, part of skin or this this section that they took from my leg was being was able to attach to my arm yeah because if that didn't attach they were going to have to grab another slab of skin from somewhere else jesus so yes I was, so it was it was literally like if they it, what that would happen they would, they would just do another one sort of thing if that makes sense just do another skin graft and just yeah. try see uh, we can, from any from someone else sort of thing yeah. so you might have two tries instead of just one yeah <laughs> thank god thank god i tried it was okay the first time so, yeah so how long was it the recovery time must have been a long, long period of that. I mean, what was the recovery you had to go through? It was a lot of physiotherapy you had to get involved with once it's all healed and all that sort of thing to get the muscles back to normal? Yep. Um, once I had the airplane splint removed, or uh, I didn't have to use it anymore, they gave me a, a you know, they started uh, doing the dressings, um, you know, in the room. And then they gave me an, um, like a, a poor man's Iron Man uh, contraption it was still airplane splint but it was more removable i like i wore it at night when i was sleeping right. so it kept that 90 degree angle but i was able to move my shoulder freely so they uh, they gave me a shoulder uh, a pulley system that i could attach to my bathroom door and so i would do where i'd sit down on the floor um and do shoulder workouts they gave me sponges of uh, different uh thicknesses and I would squeeze those to strengthen my forearms. And eventually they would get me to walk uh, down the hall. 
And uh, my first walk, I remember, was from my hospital door to the uh, nearest nurse station, which was across the hall. Wow. So 12, 12 feet, you know, or, uh, you know, just shy of uh, four meters. And I had, before I went to the hospital, a week before I was admitted, I had run a 5K in under uh, 19 and a half minutes. Jesus. And so when you go from being a long distance runner mm. at that speed, and then you go to, okay, you're going to walk four meters and you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, was that what it, it felt like? Were you completely exhausted when you got there? So sort of it was, I mean, yeah. Not only because my muscles had, had atrophied mm. because I was, I was immobile for the first couple weeks. Uh, I mean, I had a colostomy bag that was holding me down. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, they were afraid of bed sores. And eventually when they started getting me up, I, I mean, it was the first time I ever had cankles. Oh, it was, just, yeah, it was just, it was just odd, you know, cause I'd always been active. Um, but it was at that time that I decided, okay, I can either, you know, wallow in my pity and, you know, and be upset at everything going on and basically spit in the face of everyone who stood up for me and helped my family out emotionally, physically, or financially. Or I could take this one step at a time and do the best I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to mention about, obviously, the, the mental aspect of all this, because you mentioned before that you're a very active person. You know, you had, you had a lot of things going. You were just, just a normal life, but you like to keep yourself. And that literally got ripped away within about, I don't know, like a day near enough, really, wasn't it? And then all of a sudden, yeah. it just got worse and worse and worse. What was, mm-hmm. what, was, what was your mental well-being going through after it all said and done, and you literally had to pick yourself up from, uh, from, well, from uh, the bottom and work your way up? How did you manage to get through that? Well, first, you know, um, like I alluded before, I, I took count of all the good things that we had. You know, I, you know, I have my faith, I have my family, I have my friends have my, my wonderful colleagues, many of them who lived in Rochester. You know, I'm an, as an online teacher, you rarely, you know, I may see my colleagues face-to-face three or four, maybe five times a year, but I talk with them all the time. And so we, we, we actually get very, very close. Some of them actually lived or still live in the Rochester area. So they would come to my in-law's house, bring my kids toys, bring food, help out. and so. With everyone stepping up, it was, you know, I found it very easy to be positive. Mm. And not only that, I also, te- I also thought about, okay, what are things that I, that not the big things, but what are the little things that I have, I can be thankful for, I can look forward to? Well, my brother bought me an iPad <laughs> because, um, because I had a laptop for my teaching, but that was too heavy to, to put on my, my leg, especially with a gaping hole on it. Yeah, and so probably get stuck in there. Yeah, yeah. And so I uh, that was when I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Daredevil, Netflix, yeah. the Marvel series. They that released at that time. Oh, so really? I'm like binging Daredevil. That's good know. series. Se- good oh, series. Be- second awesome. series. Second series where the Punisher comes out. Oh, even better. Yeah, well, those those first four episodes of the second season are ph- phenomenal. Um, the whole season, the whole season is good. Those first four, those first four especially are just fantastic. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm watching Daredevil. Um, I'm watching The Flash. When your last name is Gordon, it's kind of a law <laughs> that you have to like The Flash. Oh, yeah, I have to, um, you? Both, both the DC version and the Spaceman. Oh, um, nice. You know, and um, you know, I just started being very thankful for every little thing that I had because mm-hmm. once you're able to be thankful for the small things, life seems a lot more positive instead of, you know, hoping that the big things come through. You know, I like, you know, so I was really looking forward to the small, the, you know, being thankful for the small things. And that really helped me develop a uh, more positive mindset. That's brilliant. So the small, just concentrate on the small stuff and it just kind of keep going and keep going and sort of thing. It's it's very powerful way of doing it, to be quite honest with you. It's uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Did, you, did you have, I know it's not what I say, did you have any sort of dark moments during that time or was it um, you tried to stay away from that? You know, I, I really, you know, I was very fortunate in that I never fell into a depression or experienced any PT, PT, PTSD. Mm. I, there's one time I remember in the hospital where I cried and yeah. it was just a moment of frustration because it was in the middle of the night and they had started lessening my pain medication right and so i just was fed up and and i also um not only did i have the pain meds but i also had uh, some leg pumpers on my legs because being so bedridden they were really afraid i was going to develop blood clots oh yeah of course so they put um, these automatic leg pumpers, which are like basically like water wings for your legs. Okay. And they put them on your legs, and every so often, maybe like two or three minutes, they they they'd send a, a, a pulse of air through your legs to uh, you know to tighten around your legs to keep the blood flowing. Keep them stimulated, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was at that point that I just I was tired. I couldn't sleep very well. The pain was bad, and I just I broke down and cried for a few minutes. Mm. Um, and that's that in one time out of the hospital, the only times that I cried. And it's and I don't say that to sound like I'm a tough guy. Yeah. But I I say it because I want you know it's it's because I kept in mind that I had all these things going for me, you know, and and for and it goes back to you know. Yes, this is this sucks. This is tough, but I could have it much worse. I could be dead. I could not yeah. have the the, um, the support system that I do. So I'm going to go through this tough time. I'm going to make it through, and I'm going to keep stepping. It's like you've got like a second chance if you think about it in that sort of aspect. You know, you don't want to you don't want to squander it. You know, you've got a second chance to do things. It's like, well, I've got this chance. I've came through. The, the hard part of it and now it's it's the recovery it's now time to dig deep and get it done not for your sake but for everyone else around you's sake as you mentioned before yeah you know not only for my kids who are watching but also for my students you know i of course i'm yeah. all, you know i'm a role model for them and i and i want to show them that life is going to throw you a curveball and you're just going to have to dig deep and uh you know just make it you know just do the best that you can Fantastic. So, so with the recovery, how long was it really did it take you to get yourself back into standing up mobile? I wouldn't say back to normal, but getting a bit of normality. How long was that from like that day of the surgery till that, that time? 
I was in I was in the hospital for a total of sixty five days. That's got, and that's a long time as well. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the first couple of weeks, I was basically bedridden, and then they started getting me walking. Like I said, first it was across the hall, then it was to the next nurse's station, which is about ten meters away. Now I say twenty meters away, and then. Eventually, I was able to walk the distance of the hallway, and it, you know this is a big building; it's two blocks. Yeah, the massive. And I can so, imagine. yeah, and so that first time, I I slept like a baby that night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, eventually, you know, I'm, uh, I'm I'm making those laps on a regular basis, and then during that time, uh, with my trusty iPad, I ordered a new pair of running shoes while in the hospital. Wow. Because I wanted to motivate myself to get back into running as soon as I could. Yeah. So it was literally a lot about motivation to go, I've got a goal here. I'm mm -hmm. going to smash it sort of thing. So it's a lot, a lot more kind of motivating for yourself. So you've got something to look forward to. Yes. Exactly. I, think that's, I think that's incredibly important when you go, do go have something like that. that you, even in everyday life, to be fair, is have that sort of goal and to strive towards it. So you've got that sort of, vision reaching that it might not take it might take a few weeks or a few days even a few years but keep that there so you've got something to strive towards is very important in anything i think yeah and that's one of the main uh motivators for me was setting those long-term and short-term goals uh because i i am by nature a very goal-oriented person and yeah. so i think that's you know, not having to learn that, having that already ingrained in me really helped me with my recovery because I knew that, okay, I'm going to have to first, you know, first do this to get me to here, get me to here. You know, um, it comes with being a special education teacher because we, yeah. when we, uh, we create our lesson, our, our yearly plans for our students, we have to set goals and objectives. Yeah. And you know, so basically I was writing my own IEP, my individualized education plan, you know, <laughs> I got this goal and I have to meet these objectives to meet that goal. Right. And so uh, it was, yeah, I found it very uh, easy to motivate myself. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so when the recovery starts, because you're a keen runner, you, you mentioned you got yourself some running shoes. When was the first run that you went on? Well, after I was uh, discharged from the hospital, I spent three weeks in home therapy right. uh, where a nurse would come to the house every day to change my dressings and check on me. And then um, every other day, a physical therapist would come to help me with exercises and to um, assess where I was. The first 10 days were at my in-law's house, still in Rochester. And then um, I, my dad drove me home to New Ulm. And then the uh, medical facility here did the balance of the uh, three weeks. Right. And so 10 minutes after I signed off on the papers that said, I am free from home therapy, I grabbed those new running shoes and I went out for my first run. Jesus, really? Yeah. And so I ran down, uh, I ran a kilometer to a, a friend who, while I was in the hospital, she had experienced some uh, health issues herself. She was at work at the time. I ran to her office, checked on her, and then ran back. And then once the mile mark, once my watch dinged one mile, I said, I said a very bad word, 
and started heaving because my <laughs> body was not used to running. Yeah, I can imagine. I was going to say, how did you feel after? Or was it a little bit like, um, shit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, oh, it, was, it was the worst mile of my life. I bet did you did what did you have to run back the same mile or did you phone the wife up and say, Can you come and get me, please? Because no, <laughs> you went too far. Yeah. I always make no, that I was, mistake. I make that mistake when I'm running. I always go, oh, I've done ten Ks now. And I realize, yeah. oh shit, I've got another ten Ks to go back now. Oh no. <laughs> I uh I was thankfully a block and a half away. Oh, that's not too bad. So so I, I shuffled home, but it was that first mile was uh, extremely important because I had to get that one out of the way. It's the hardest one, and it? The first one is always the hardest, and it's like the first exactly. hurdle to get through, and you know you just you have to smash it. It's going to hurt. It's going to be incredibly sucky, but you just have to do it, don't you? Exactly, exactly. And so after that, I started, uh, when I would go run, I would do a run-walk method where I would – Run a block, walk a block. Run a block, walk a block. And at so that like time, a, so like an HIIT sort of thing, isn't it? It's like an yeah. high intensity sort of thing. Not as high, but kind of medium intensity. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. My my running at that time was like uh, uh, glorified walking. <laughs> a, a, but, a swift a swift jog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I uh, but as I go, I'm walking away from a dog that's chasing me. Um, but, uh, eventually I started stretching it out to running two blocks, walking one and then three and then four. And then, um, I think a little over a month after I signed off on those papers, I actually did my first 5k with my son. And, uh, at the time he was six. And so we, we walked and ran some, but you know, we made the whole three mile, 3.1 miles, uh, without stopping. And so that was uh, that was huge for us. I was going to for him. I was going to say that must have been that must have been amazing, especially doing it with your son as well. That must have been quite special. Yeah, we had done a, a few races before. Uh, a little uh, uh, si- sidebar here: uh, the year before I'd gone to the hospital, um, we did what's called a gorilla run, right? Where uh, this uh, costume company ran this race, and you, when you registered. You got a gorilla suit. <laughs> you had to and run so in a gorilla run, suit. You had to run in a gorilla suit, and at the time they were setting uh, the world record for the the largest number of people dressed as gorillas at one time. <laughs> Did you break it? And, yeah, and so I dressed up as Thorilla because I had a Thor costume. So I I put a, like the wig on and the head headdress and the and the hammer, and he dressed as Capuchin America, <laughs> That's Captain clever. America, but had the the monkey suit on. And that was his first 5K, which I thought he wasn't going to finish because I had to, I brought a running stroller to push him in. But he wanted to run the whole thing, and he did. Wow. Um, so it was, it was really special for me to run it with him the first time after being out of the hospital. Brilliant. Brilliant. So now you're, you're back into the running thing again, and you've, you've kind of pushed yourself up. Um, is it st- does, it still, does it still bother? Is it st- you still back to 100% now, or will it never be 100%? Um, the... I am as 100% as I'm going to be. Um, yeah. yeah, like I said, the left leg gets uh, a little tired. And the right arm, actually where my skin grafts are, imagine having a heating pad on high on your body the whole, all the time. Really? Is that what it feels like? Skin grafts are non-porous. So they oh, don't sweat. Of course. Of course. So they don't get rid of any heat. The heat's going to stay there, isn't it? Yeah, it stays there. And so like days like today, 
where it's uh, 25, 26 degrees Celsius, or you know, in the 80s and you know, approaching 90s, it gets really toasty. And cool. so um, I've done races. Uh, there's a, a really road race here in the States called Ragnar. Okay. And there are a bunch of different ones throughout the United States. I've done Ragnars where I'd have to take a running sleeve, like a compression running sleeve, and put ice packs in the running sleeve. Wow. So my arm wouldn't overheat. Wow. And then as I'm running, you know, you have your water bottle. I'll drink some, you know, I'll drink some. Spray some Shuck it on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool it off a little bit. Um, and so other than that, um, there, I really haven't experienced any detriment. Um, like I said, um, you know, when I do pull-ups, I kind of list to the right. And uh, I actually lost a T-shirt one one time. Uh, you know, the Marine Corps, they have those pull-up bars at, at, at places. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. say, uh, you know, if you do 25 pull-ups, you uh, get a – you know, get a t-shirt and I was at 23 and I just couldn't get up there. Oh, and you're joking. Said, you want a, a keychain? Like, no, I wanted the shirt. <laughs> Keep the keychain. <laughs> yeah, shove a keychain. I don't want that. I want the shirt instead. Yeah. So you've been doing a lot of races recently because you, 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 you've got the, the bug really, haven't you? Because I, I know a lot of uh, friends who do the races, uh, do running and stuff and they, they just they just love it. Have you, have you kind of caught the bug massively sort of thing is like constantly doing it all the time? Oh yeah, um, to my to my wife my wife's chagrin, uh, you know yeah there have been there were a number of times where I've, I've run too much and I've injured myself, yeah. and then I would say oh, I feel better now and I come home injured worse and then Becky says all right you are not running for six weeks and she really? put the kibosh on it and she of course she would be right, of course you know and then and then uh, and so um, for the most part. Uh, right now, I'm uh, actually uh, trying to rehab my legs a little bit because my muscles are really tight. Right. And uh, being 45 and being a runner, your hip flexors aren't very flexy. Yeah, that's true. And um, I, my and my older son and I are in Taekwondo, and we're both one kick away from earning our recommended black belts. And so it's a slow motion front kick that I need to work on. Right. And like I said. It's hard for me to get that leg up high enough to where that my master of, wants it. That sort of motion so, sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, and so um, I'm actually grateful for the uh, pandemic in that regard because it gives me time to <coughs> rehab my legs and to work on my flexibility. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So when you think with the, 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 the trauma your body has been through, because it's been it's been a huge trauma that you've you've went through, you've built up. Does it just it still come back sort of thing? Is it like can I? Is it is it still like is it limited to what you can do, or is it you just back to normal? You know, I feel that other than the uh, you know the ever present tightness of my right arm um, and the and the heat that it's generated there. Yeah, I, I pretty much am back to normal. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, yeah. I, look, and that was when? That was, you say, was it 2017 you mentioned that? Um, when, when I did what? Uh, when, when, um, when, obviously, the, when it all happened, when it all kicked off. Oh, 2015. 15, sorry, 15. So, yeah. so it's been obviously a long road sort of thing to get to where you've been there, but it's been a lot of like kind of hard work and dedication and I can imagine a lot of uh, sweat as well sort of yes. thing to get there. Yeah. In some places. Yeah, yeah, some places yeah. more than others sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
that, that is one thing. I have saved so much money on deodorant because <laughs> I only have to use it on one arm. Just one arm, exactly, just in case. Yeah. So I can make a I can make a, a stick of deodorant last for almost a year. Oh Christ! Oh, God, there you go. Happy days. You say, you're saving money on shampoo and also deodorant now as well. Oh, I'm, my, I'm my best barber. I'm my own best barber. You know, <laughs> join the club. I'm exactly the same. Exactly. So, what, what, what would could you do? You you have done a lot of speaking events regarding this as well. Yes. Yeah. Um. At the beginning of this year, I decided that I needed to share my message with others. Hmm. Um. You know. I, I was very thankful that for everyone stepping up for uh, for me, but I felt that it wasn't enough. I now needed to, um, as we as we said before, um, pay it forward. And yeah. so I am um, now, uh, you know, looking for uh, places to speak, uh, particularly schools. Right. Uh, being a teacher, I feel that I'm very adept to connecting with students. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, this morning I just uh, spoke with my superintendent about uh, doing a number of speaking engagements for um, our school district. And, oh, wow. it, and it's weird because uh, our school district is uh, separated in the online school where I teach in an on-site school that has its own students. It's a, its own high school and middle school and its own elementary school. Okay. And so I'm going to do uh, four different uh, speaking engagements for those different students based on my message of the attitude of gratitude. Of course, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great story to tell. I think it's from what you've, you've experienced, you can, it's, it's going to be a great story to tell them, to motivate them, to show them, not just the, the, the gratitude story as well, but show them like you can do anything you can put your mind to sort of thing. You know, it's once you've got that, there's nothing you can't do. Just because you've yes. had a bump in the road or something happened, you could pick yourself up and keep going to it. And that's incredibly powerful, especially to a younger generation. Yes. Yes. And that's, and that, that's why I feel uh, compelled to speak with students. And, uh, and the beautiful thing about being, uh, you know, an online teacher is I've been giving per, uh, you know, virtual presentations for eight years now. Yeah. And so I could speak to uh, a school in the UK here you know, over the computer and deliver the same message. And it'd be almost like, you know, having a face-to-face, uh, you know, presentation. Of course, yeah. It's amazing how the internet can actually help uh, open up a whole avenue of possibilities, to be quite honest. You know, it's um, it, it's amazing, especially because you, you've been used to doing your online teaching as well. I, I was going to mention about this because uh, you've been doing this for years, haven't you? And yes. I, and then obviously the the pandemic hit and the the the, the online stuff has really gone crazy. You must have been just like, just an old day at the office for me. This is easy. You guys have to adapt to it. Welcome to my world, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But actually, the worst thing is I had to deal with having four other people in the house now. <laughs> of course, yeah, because you've got because, the whole family there now, haven't you? Yeah, because I'm you know previously I'm walking around with my laptop. I'm you know if I have. If I'm feeling a little tight, I can stretch on the kitchen counter, put my leg up. And yeah. Now I now I have three kids running around screaming as they're uh, doing Zoom calls and doing uh, scavenger hunts. Yeah, of course. And my wife is trying to teach in the kitchen, you know, teaching the dining room. So, you know, I there are worse things, as I like to say. Have you had um, many people come up to you, like teachers, like normal teachers, come up to you and try and get some advice from you and say, like, mm-hmm. help me out, please. I don't know what I'm doing with this. You know it. I could only do so much though, because our curriculum is, is, you know, especially made for online teaching. 
Whereas, you know, uh, a teacher who is teaching in a brick and mortar school, they have their textbook. And so it's, you know, from that, that aspect, I really can't offer too much, but I have a lot of uh, experience being self-sufficient in terms of, uh, you know, being a self-starter, yeah. of keeping myself uh, organized and um, motivated to complete goals, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't have a, a principal breathing down my neck uh, and, you know, just in the next room or down the hall, you know, that you have to be, you have to be independent to be successful as an online teacher. And so I already had that independence and that um, self-reliance. And so I uh, actually created some YouTube videos nice. and shared them with uh, people in the teaching community to give them tips on, you know, the best way to organize your workspace, um, you know, tips on, you know, maybe working out or trying to keep active. Because it's, it's, you know, it, we've heard people joke about the COVID-19, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of like the freshman 15, but the COVID-19, you, you know, you, you're at home, you're stuck in quarantine, you're just eating chips all day, you know, so there are, um, you know, so I've given a lot of advice that way, mm. uh, but I wish I could help more in the actual teaching aspect. Oh, that's it. But the thing is, it's great that the... the the, the motivation and the organization is half the battle really at the end of the day, isn't it? Yes. Once you kind of get used to that, the rest mm -hmm. of it really kind of slots into place really, to be fair. That's when you can benefit from doing the actual proper teaching and just getting kind of getting used to it really, to be fair, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So, so we're coming to the end of the pandemic now. We're getting back to a bit of normality now, Chris. So what is the rest of the year looking like for you? What have you got? How many marathons are you going to be running and what are you going to be dressed up as? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, one punch man. Oh, I love one Is punch it? man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dressed up as him, uh, for a, a Halloween 5k last year and I might have to, uh, might have to reprise him cause I, I just love the character and I have a, I have to say I have a really good costume. Um, <laughs> but, um, I might actually be, uh, speaking for a marathon expo in oh, September. Wow. Oh, that's Actually, gonna, that's in Rochester. Good. Yeah, I oh, might be going back good. to Rochester and uh, speaking uh, at that expo if they still have it. Um, there was a race that was um, a 10-mile race, which was postponed from April. That might be happening in August. Um, there's one of those, uh, those relay road races I was talking about. Right. But instead of a, a road race, it's a trail run. Oh. Um, and, that's, and what they do is they set up a camp. A central camp and then they have three loops of varying distances that that start and end at the camp right and so that might be happening in september again like we said you know the pandemic uh yeah. really dictates everything mm. um but i'm still working out i'm still running uh almost every day I, at the very least i do like a mile of uh, uh striders I'll run a block and then walk between the, uh, the, you know, the blocks, you know, walk across the road and then run the next block hard. Right. And so I'll just keep active with that and, you know, keep teaching and keep speaking, doing the best I can, help people out as much as I can. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you. Your story is it's, it's so inspiring, to be fair. I was, I'm happy I really got a chance to talk to you about it. And I'm, I'm really hoping that um, you can obviously give as much knowledge as you can to the youngsters that are out there and give as much knowledge back to them. And uh, hopefully you can 
smashing world records in the near future as well. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, Ryan. I've really enjoyed our conversation as well. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how I can help people. No problem at all. Well, Chris, whereabouts can we, we find you? What, what's, have you got yourself, uh, uh, you got yourself in your uh, Facebook page, haven't you? Yeah, I sure do. Um, I have my Facebook page uh, called Chris D.T. Gordon. I have my own website, uh, which is www.chrisdtgordon.com. That's G-O-R-D-O-N. Um, I even have a podcast uh, called Scar Bearers. Oh, lovely. That is on, uh, right now it's on Spotify, Google Hangouts, a number of different places. I haven't, I haven't broken into Apple yet. Uh, but I'm hoping to do, do that soon. Um, and then on YouTube, I'm, uh, I'm at uh, Chris DT Gordon and on Instagram at, at Chris DT Gordon. I like to keep Absolutely. it simple. Nice and easy, nice and easy. What we'll do, we'll put the, uh, all this in the description of the podcast in case that you forget because there's a lot. You're everywhere yeah. now, Chris. You have to, to be fair, you have to be everywhere nowadays, to be fair, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure, sir. Hey, pleasure's all mine. Thank you, Ryan. You have a great day now. Andrew, take care. Goodbye.